0: new thing. All right, we're going to go to Matthew 13, if you will. Matthew 13. Grateful to be back with you, praying that the, God, the Lord would work in uh, our hearts as he sees fit this week, and I, I am really praying for a work in our hearts. Thought was impressed upon me as I've been looking at world events, thinking, you know, we live in a time, there is more access to the Bible than there's ever been. You think about this, I mean, I, when I first started in evangelism 30 years ago, about every town in America had a Christian bookstore, at least any town of size. Amazon kind of changed that dynamic. But you know, most towns had a Christian bookstore. Everybody's got access to Christian radio broadcast or television. Now, I know not all ministries preach the truth. I know that. But you can hear the gospel on TV. You can hear the gospel on the radio. Think about this. We have the, phone, uh, we have the Bible on our phones, on our iPads and tablets. Commentaries. I mean, you can download digitally now. You can download Audiobooks, Bible study books, I think it's without contest to say never have people had more access, more ready access to the Bible and Bible study materials than we do in our day. And yet, and yet godliness seems to be at an all-time low. It's so rare to find a godly person But don't want to challenge your thinking about this. Uh, This week, you know, there are 168 hours in a week. If we're in church one hour a week, uh, we've given God one out of 168. I know we're really busy, but I'd urge you to come back to these meetings this week. It's not because the pastor has a guest preacher in town. We're here to hear from the Lord. This is his word. I'm just the messenger, I'm the paper boy, I, I deliver the news. But we want to hear from God. So 168 hours a week, and so often we'll give God our, our token hour. But where's real godliness? David said it this way in the Psalm, Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. The faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. William Wilberforce, he was the one that led the charge against slavery in, um, in Great Britain. He and William Pitt. And eventually slavery was outlawed in in Britain under his influence. He said even in his day, he wrote a book, had a really long title, three three lines long, but in essence it was called Real Christianity. He said even in his day in the 1700s, 1800s, you could talk to people about God and it would be like talking to a person with a blank stare. You talk about politics or anything else and they seem to be engaged, but you talk about God, even Christians seem like they're, off the grid, not engaged. Why is that? Why is there so little godliness? It's not lack of access to the word. I believe the reason we'll find in the parable that Jesus gave today, parable of the sower. In fact, I've entitled the message, Grounds for Growth and Godliness. Grounds for Growth and Godliness I'd encourage you to take notes when you hear a message. I do it, it helps me engage my mind, helps me to keep track where the preacher's going. I'll do my part to make it easy to follow along, so I'll always give you a title, I'll give you some key points. But I do that to really try to get your mind engaged in the scripture, that's what we wanna focus on. Grounds for growth and godliness. So I'm gonna start in Matthew 13, and the parable itself is told by Jesus in the early part here. And so let's read verses 1 through 9. That's where the parable is. We're going to spend our time on the explanation that he gives. So that comes later in the chapter. But let me read the parable first. Matthew 13, verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. Forthwith, right away that means, they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns. The thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Pastor referred to that earlier. You know, take heed how you hear. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's the very thing Jesus is talking about here, okay? So there, he's talking about four different types of response to the word of God. Now, you probably know the sower was a person who had a big bag of seed and he would scatter the seed with his hand. Uh, even this day, people will often use a big bag with fertilizer or grass seed on it. And there's a crank. Have any of you ever done grass seed or, or uh, you know, fertilizer that way? I was a kid, I was a paper boy, And did you know people used to get the news on their front porch, not on their phone? And uh, so I used to deliver the newspaper, right? So I'd have a big bag, and the idea was grab the paper and toss it on the front porch. Don't hit the door. Don't damage the the greenery. Uh, Okay, so the sower, he goes out to sow. The one time I was in Israel was uh, 2001 with Evangelist Tom Farrell on a trip. And I remember, uh, among other things, we went to Capernaum. That's on the northern part of Israel, up in Galilee, Right, in fact, on the Sea of Galilee, and Tom Farrell, evangelist, friend of mine, said, hey, how would you like to preach the message tonight? I said, oh, okay, I'd love to. Be ready instant, in season, out of season. He said, now the challenge is you're going to have the Sea of Galilee behind you. You're going to be facing all the people, so they'll be looking at the Sea of Galilee. And he said, but I think it'd be a great opportunity if you want to give the Sunday night message for us. And I said, I'd, lo- I'd love to do that. So everybody's looking at the Sea of Galilee behind me. while well, while I'm preaching to them, I'm I'm looking at the hillside behind. And that's exactly where Jesus was standing in Capernaum. And there, there are hills that converge right there in town. And Jesus had just pushed offshore in one of the boats owned by probably either Peter and, and Andrew or James and John, one of the two. And he's actually seated in the boat. It gives you an idea. There are, there are thousands of people that would come to hear Jesus. He must have had some booming voice. And so he's seated and he's projecting and he says, behold, a sower went forth to sow. It would not surprise me if he actually pointed to somebody doing this because this was common. What was a parable? A parable was an earthly story used to convey some heavenly truth. An earthly story used to convey some heavenly truth. He would talk about things like fishing or in this case, planting, sower. Okay, sower is a planter of seed here. Um, I remember years ago, my dad, we had grown up in New Jersey. I lived all my life until I went to college in in Southern New Jersey, a real rural part farming area of New Jersey. I'll tell you about that. My dad got burdened for ministry. And so in uh, 1988, we moved from uh, New Jersey down to Florida. My dad went to Pensacola Christian College where I was a student and he got a degree in Bible thinking he was going to be a preacher. God never called my dad to be a preacher, but he ended up working at the Home Depot in Pensacola for the next 20 some years. And uh, during that time, I called him the missionary to Home Depot. He was quite a witness, and everybody knew my dad's walk with the Lord. He loved the Lord, and he really cared about the people he worked with. After he died at age 65, I was going through some notebooks of my dad. He had written out scripture by hand, and I asked my mom, why was he writing out these Scripture by hand? she said, well, he would memorize it, so he'd write it out to see if he got it word perfect. And as I'm flipping through his notebook of memorized passages, I'm seeing these parables of the Bible, And I said to her, mom, why was dad memorizing parables? She said, well, you know, Jesus would tell these stories to illustrate heavenly truth. And dad found it was a great witnessing tool when people would have these conflicts, which come with people, you know. He would diffuse the situation by saying, oh, that reminds me of a parable Jesus told. For instance, and he would quote it verbatim, and their mouth would drop them, like, this guy's a walking Bible. Well, they knew he had taken time to study the Bible, so as soon as they'd have some crisis come in their life, who would they go talk to? The guy that knew the Bible. And that's, that was the tool that he used. Well, Jesus would use these stories, and these, were, th- these parables were made up stories, but they were based on you know, common realities, to convey some truth. Okay, so notice... He's talking here about the the soil, the response to the seed, okay? So back in verse four, when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. I circled the phrase the wayside here. And then look at verse five, some fell upon stony places, I circled stony places. There are four types of ground here. Verse uh, seven, among thorns, I circled that. And verse eight is good ground, okay? So there are your four types of ground. Some people like to call this the parable of the soils. Interesting, because their, their focus is the response to the word of God. Interestingly, Jesus called it the parable of the sower. Go down to verse number 18, and this is where we're going to spend our time. Verses 18 to 23 is the explanation of the parable. So he said, hear you therefore the parable of the sower. Now I wondered, okay, commentators all like to be creative. You know, the parable of the soils. Why did Jesus call the parable the sower? You're gonna find out in the context, the sower is the one who's preaching the word. Like what I'm doing right now, I'm preaching the Bible, okay? If you teach Sunday school or if you lead a Bible study, if you do one-on-one discipleship, if you give the gospel one-on-one, you're the person sowing the seed. You're the sower. Why did he call the parable the sower? I, I think the reason he did was because no matter what the response is, That which is being sown is always good. The seed is the word of God. And God promises, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. That's in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. He promises his word will never go out pointless. It's going to accomplish his purpose. So here, therefore, the parable of the sower, look at verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that receives seed by the wayside. All right, so I circled the phrase the wayside here. Let me make it easy for you. If you want to take notes, we're going to break it down into the four areas of response that Jesus speaks of. Number one is wayside ground. So if you want to follow along, wayside ground, it's explained in verse 19. And I'm going to give you a little summary phrase for each of the types of ground, okay? I call this snatched seed Think of a purse snatcher, snatched seed, like grabbed away, okay? So look back at the explanation, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so anybody's listening, and understandeth it not, so he doesn't get it, he doesn't comprehend it, then cometh the wicked one. So who's the wicked one? The devil, Satan. Then comes Satan and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that receives seed by the wayside. Now, I'm going to give you two observations to each type of soil, and I'm going to tell you the first one here, you'll see it for all four types because I wrote down A, the seed is sown, the word is heard. If you write that here, you'll repeat that each time in the next four types of soil. Okay, the seed is sown, the word is heard. Now, interestingly enough, this parable is repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are called the synoptic gospels okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke were your traditional biography of Jesus' life. John is a little different in that John focuses on the deity of Jesus Christ. It's an apologetic. It's a defense of the faith. It's a declaration of Jesus' deity. You you can find that Jesus is God from any of the parables, any of the gospels, I'm sorry, but John specifically focuses on the deity of Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on his deeds and his declarations, okay? What he did, what he said, So interesting, the synoptics, that that comes from word to see the same. Okay, so I'm wearing glasses, I'm nearsighted. So when I take these off, you go a little blurry when I put them on. Optical lens corrects corrects my vision, right? Optic means to see. Syn, S-Y-N, is like synchronize your watch. If we synchronized our watches, our watches would all, all be set to what? the same time, Sin, like synonym, it means the same. So synoptic means the same. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a lot of repetition, synoptic gospels. So you will find this parable in Matthew 13, in Mark chapter four, and in Luke chapter eight. We're not gonna look at all three of them for sake of time, but I do wanna at least compare Matthew and Luke together. So Matthew 13, let's go to Luke chapter eight, and if you'd put a marker there, we'll jump back and forth because there's a, there's a purpose to all this comparison, right? Luke chapter 8, Jesus gives the parable starting in verse 4. We've already read the parable, so we're going to go right to the explanation. The explanation is in verse 11. Okay, Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Okay, folks, I'd like you to inter- interject with, interact with me, rather. Uh, what does the seed represent? Word of, word of God. You get an A, okay? Real easy on that one. The seed is the word of God. Verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So who's the opposition coming in to oppose the word here? Satan, yeah, the devil. Interesting, I worked on a farm in New Jersey. I I grew up in the southern part. Have any of you ever been to New Jersey? Anybody? Okay. So most people think in New Jersey, they think Newark. You know, They think up in New York City area if you've flown through there. I live in the southern part of the state. I don't know how many of you remember this, but New Jersey's called the Garden State. And believe it or not, South Jersey is really, really rural. I grew up on a farm. Uh, I didn't grow up on a farm. Our friends owned a farm. I grew up working on a farm there. Two of my close friends had farms. So I spent a lot of time on farms. And I remember in the spring, our friend Dave would be out planting. And because he had severe rheumatoid arthritis, his hands were drawn Closed, and his knees and hips had been replaced, and he had to lock his one knee in place with a brace. I mean, he was bad off with arthritis, but he loved farming. So he had his John Deere tractors outfitted where they had these steel ladders welded right onto the tractor, painted John Deere green, looked like it came out of the factory that way. And he had one shoe, it was a platform shoe to kind of balance out his offset gait. He'd climb up in that tractor, and because it was so difficult to get up and down, he'd be on that tractor for hours, so he'd hire high school kids to help him with basic things around the farm. His sons also worked for him. My job in the spring was I'd rip the seed open in the bags and I, or the bags open and I'd dump the seed in the hoppers. So uh, I had a lot of other things I did: bale and hay and stacking hay and that kind of stuff. But it gave me time to observe. And when he was planting, he'd go down the rows that had been plowed. then he shut this mechanism off that would keep the seed from dropping out. And then he'd turn and he'd come back down the side road or or the wayside. Okay, what's the side road? That's where we ran the tractors and the cattle would go up and down there. That's where people would walk. We'd run the four-wheelers up there. In Jesus' day, they'd run the donkeys along there and the cattle and the people would walk there and the carts would be pulled there. It's just a road, right? Nobody is planting on the wayside intentionally. But what happens is sometimes the uh, the tractor I'm sorry the planter would be shut off and as he'd make the turn some seeds would fall out. Well, when you got a pile of seeds sitting on the wayside, guess who would show up? The birds, yeah. Now when I was a kid, okay, actually that was the 20th century because I was a teenager in the 20th century. So the 20th century was no different than the first century. The birds would show up, free food, right? Okay, what's the picture? Well, notice, if you go back in the parable here in Luke chapter eight, uh, verse four, where he first explains it I'm sorry, verse five, "A sower went out to sow his seed as he sowed some by the wayside. It was trodden down, the fowls of the air devoured it." Okay, what is that picture? We read it in verse 12. "Those by the wayside are they that here then comes the devil, takes away the word out of their heart's list. They should believe and be what? Saved. So I jotted down letter B: "The seed is snatched. the word is wasted." The seed is snatched, the word is wasted. Does everybody who hears the gospel get saved? No, don't you wish they did? And by the way, God does too. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth of the matter is, he says, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the truth. That's why Pastor was emphasizing, take heed how you hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I remember when I was first learning to preach, I, you know, as a young man, I started preaching when I was 15. When I went to college, I was definitely focused on content because the authority of the preacher is the message that he gives. It's got to be the word of God. I knew that. But I will tell you, I had to change a little bit stylistically because preaching is truth with personality. And uh, frankly, there was not a lot of personality in my preaching. I don't preach to entertain, but I will tell you this. I do preach because I don't want you to be deterred from the word of God. And I would go back and I'd listen on cassette tape and think, man, this is so boring. Why would I listen to that guy? That guy being me. And I read a quote from um, a preacher, no, an actor from the 19th century, 1800s. He was an English actor and he said this, in the 1800s, the reason the theaters are full and the churches are empty is because actors are presenting fiction as if it were truth while preachers are presenting the truth as if it were fiction. That made sense. I mean, in college, I I heard, we went to these Shakespearean performances and you'd hear this actor become the character and they're just playing a part. And I thought, I'm not playing a part. This is God's eternal word. And if an actor can be consumed with a script, how much more should a preacher be consumed with a scripture? I saw so it changed my whole approach. Now, I say that because I think all of you be like, hey, Amen. I don't wanna listen to any boring old preacher. Think about this then, let's turn the table. What do you think the preacher thinks when he's preaching? My job is definitely to present the truth faithfully And I believe it should be presented fervently. What's your job? Your job is to listen to it with receptivity and teachability. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 says this of the Bereans. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that, they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Now, all of you have opinions about preachers and you're entitled to them. Preachers ought to do a dynamic job presenting the word of God and they better be true to the text because I've got no business being up here simply to tell stories. It better be God's word. But now you're the hearer. I know what I'm delivering is true, it's God's word, but my burden is for every time I preach, I know this, everybody that I'm preaching to has an eternal soul. Everybody I'm looking at today, you are headed to heaven or hell forever someday. You know one of the reasons I preach the word with passion? Because I know I was headed to hell. If Jesus Christ had not become my savior, I'd be separated from God forever. By the way, that's just symptomatic of the problem of being lost. That's, That's one of the many problems. I had no relationship with God. I went to church every week, but I didn't know God. You can go to church every day if you wished, Some churches will have mass and other things every day. You go to church every day, and if you die without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll not be in heaven. That's what was going on with me. I grew up knowing about God, but I didn't know God. I didn't come to know Him until I was later in my boyhood, and I'll tell you about that. When the Bible is preached, there is a war going on. There's a battle. And Satan's desire is to snatch the word and not let it find root in the heart. So, first of all, we have the wayside ground, that snatched seed. Seed sown, words heard, but seed snatched, words wasted. I wonder, have you been born again? Do you know the Lord as Savior? Hebrews chapter three, verse 13 says, take heed lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the truth. Do you know the Lord as your Savior? If you don't, I want to tell you something. Uh, Jesus Christ did not come into this world to be a bully. He did not come into this world to to be an egotist. He came into this world to save sinners and bring us into a right relationship with God. He is the Lord. You don't make him Lord, he is the Lord. But you recognize this, he wants to be your savior. So that's the wayside ground. But that's not the only type of ground there is. If you go back to the Matthew approach, the Matthew uh, account, We'll pick up number two is stony ground. We had the wayside ground, but number two is stony ground. And it's in verses 20 and 21 that this is explained. Matthew 13, verse 20. He that receives seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon, that means immediately or right away, anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word by and by, he's offended. Okay, notice the seed is sown, the word is heard. In fact, it's immediately received and it's glad they're received in this case. When I, when I worked on the farm, every spring we'd have to go out and we'd have to clear the fields because uh, there would be snow in the winter and then rain in the, in the springtime and it would wash off a top layer of soil. And it would expose rocks in the field, and plows and rocks do not get along well. So we'd take the tractor out, and we'd have a wagon, and we'd throw the big rocks into the wagon and clear the fields. Some areas, the topsoil would be washed away, and there'd be a thin layer of shale, which is just, you know, a layer of rock. Now, you probably remember this even from kindergarten. you ever remember you take a seed and you plant it in a Dixie cup, and eventually it comes up a little sprout? Any of you remember doing that project as a kid? Okay, in sowing, what happens is when you plant a seed in the ground, the, the seed actually rots, and out of it, a tap root goes down, and that's what produces the crop, okay, whatever you're raising. Remember, Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground, and die it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. The, the seed dies, the tap root comes out, that's what produces life. Okay, so follow this. The sower is out there, and he's scattering seed, but sometimes some would indiscriminately end up on stony places. Hey, when you witness to people you're gonna find some people are glad to hear what you're saying and others are gonna be antagonistic. This would seem to be the type that was very glad to hear. Notice immediately they receive it. They glad to receive it, but something changes. Okay, I wrote down the seed was sown, the word was heard. That's A. It's gonna be A on each of these type. But then I want you to see this, number two. And the sad thing is, this again represents real people with real responses. The seed scorched, the words withered. The seed scorched, the words withered. Go over to the Luke account again, chapter 8, verse 13. Luke 8, 13. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. These have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. Now what does that mean? They have no root. Well, the taproot comes out, but there's nowhere to go because the rock is preventing it from Taking root. It's preventing it from accomplishing anything. What does it mean which for a while believe? Were they saved and become unsaved? No. No, you don't lose your salvation. If you ever genuinely are saved, you don't lose it. You may say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, you'll have to take it up with God. He's the author of eternal life. And he said this, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that set me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. That's John 5, 24. So you hear my word, you believe on him that sent me, you have, present tense, everlasting life. Wait a minute, if you had it and lost it, would it really be everlasting? No. You don't get everlasting life after you die. You get it the moment you're saved. So we're hearing about a young man that trusted Christ on Wednesday night. Okay, I remember the day I was saved, I was 10 years old. My dad explained to me, John chapter three, you must be born again. For me, it was February 12, 1977. The day I recognized I'm a guilty sinner before God, I repented, I am broken, I am, I'm bad, but God is good, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ, and I said, Lord, I believe you died for me and you were buried and you rose again, based on what you did for me, will you please save me? That's the moment I was saved. He says at that moment you have everlasting life, and he says he is passed from death to life, that's present tense, I'm sorry, perfect tense. Perfect tense means there's a one-time action that has lasting repercussions, ongoing ramifications, like I'm wearing a piece of jewelry, I don't wear many, much jewelry, but this one I do, tells you what about me? Married. I'm married, okay, so many of you have met my wife Angela. We've been married 30 years. If I took my ring off, would I still be married? Yes. Yeah, the ring is just a symbol. But I will tell you something, that relationship, that covenant we entered into has affected all my life. I got married May 22nd, 1993, okay, been married 30 years. Out of that, we have a mutual account. All of our assets, everything we own is mutual. Uh, We just put money on a house for the first time. We're buying a house in each other's name. We have three daughters out of that now. We even have a dog, I mentioned, okay? So one-time action that has affected every single day of my life since then. And I'm so grateful. I love my wife more than I ever have. I will tell you that. And I'm so grateful. The pastor said this morning, he was praying, Lord, you know, marriage is one of the greatest institutions you made. God intended marriages to be awesome. Now, when you enter into a relationship with God, do, do, do marriages ever have rocky times? Of course they do, okay? Does a Christian ever have sin battles? Does he ever get out of fellowship with God? Of course he does. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But I give to them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So what does he mean here when he says, which for a while believe? This is an intellectual acknowledgement. Understand this. When it comes to regeneration, there are steps of comprehension, steps of understanding that come to a point of a person receiving Christ. I heard one, or I read one book. The author said it, I thought, made very good sense. When it comes to being saved, there are a few steps of knowledge that have to be engaged in. There's there's knowledge. You have to know the truth. There's assent. You have to affirm the truth. You agree to it. And then there is uh, belief. You have to... Accept it. You have to put your trust in. Let me use a chair to illustrate here. So let's say um, I am going to sit on this chair, and I'm six foot six, and I I weigh about two forty. Okay. So when I sit on a chair, I make sure that it's going to hold me up. In fact, I'm at Tim and Megan's house. They have a little end table or a little uh, end uh, hutch or cabinet at the end of their bed. And they put some blankets in. And I I checked before I sat on it today to put my shoes on because I do not want to collapse something in somebody else's house, right? So I I know this chair will hold me. I already sat in one comparable here. Okay, so look at this. Now I sit down Now I pull my feet up. Now I'm a big guy, but this chair is not collapsing. Well, yeah, it's steel. It's got a steel frame. I expected it to hold me up. Now, the word believe on is companion to believe in. But John three sixteen says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've got to know the facts about Jesus Christ before you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. What are the basic facts of the gospel? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scripture. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses three and four. You got to know that before you can be saved. But thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble, the book of James tells us, James 2.19. So you can know about God, but not be saved by God. Knowledge alone doesn't save you. So there's knowledge, and then there's assent. Assent is to affirm it to be true, but then there's a belief. Believe on is like when you sit down on that chair, you are depending on that chair to hold you up. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is the idea of Yes, I have acknowledged him. I've believed in him. I am now depending upon him. Now, it's all involved in salvation, okay? I'm not trying to parse things up to make this too complicated. But you can understand, somebody can know about the Lord, but not know the Lord. That's the difference. I flew through Dallas yesterday, and uh, in the Dallas airport, there's a shop owned by Emmett Smith, the famous Dallas Cowboy running back. He came out of Pensacola, Florida, and one day he had a shop in Pensacola back when I was in college, and I remember I went in, and I was gonna buy an Emmett Smith jersey, and Emmett Smith's dad was in the shop, and uh, he drove the bus for Escambia County, Florida, and so I said, oh, hi. I said, my name's Rich, and I said, uh, you know, I've, I've been interested in your son since he grew up here, and he was running back for the Cowboys, and, and you know, I cheered for him, and so we got talking, and I gave him a tract. I said, we'll give you something, and I, I said, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever come to know the Lord as your Savior. He said, oh, I know all about him. I said, you know, that reminds me of something. You know, I know about Emmett Smith. I I could probably tell you some stats about his rushing career and his, you know, he went to Pine Forest High School and then he went to uh, Florida uh, University, Gators, and played for the Cowboys and then the Cardinals. And then, yeah, I can tell you a bunch. I said, Mr. Smith, I know about Emmett, but you know Emmett, said, you went to his Pop Warner games, didn't you? You probably fed him when he was a baby. I said, I'll bet you occasionally change some diapers. He said, I usually left that to my wife, but yeah, I did. I said, Mr. Smith, I, I know about Emmett, but you know Emmett. I said, Jesus said, when it comes to the day of judgment, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and thy name cast out devils and thy name done many wonderful works and then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's in Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. These people said, we did this for you, we did this for you. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me. Getting to heaven is not a matter of what you do. Getting to heaven will be a matter of whom you knew. Did you know Jesus Christ as Savior? And I will tell you what what I told Mr. Smith that day. You know, it's not knowing about Jesus gets you to heaven. It's knowing him. So these people immediately receive the word. They're all like, this is the best thing. But what turns them away? Well, notice here in verse 13, they and the rock hear the word, receive a joy. They have no root, which for a while, I believe and in time of temptation, fall away. Interesting, the, the phrase fall away is the word, fall away comes from one word, aphistomy. It's our word apostasy. You know what apostasy is? It's to have known the truth, but reject it. We live in a country of apostates. There are lots of people who've grown up knowing about God, but they deliberately reject the truth of God. That's apostasy. Okay, go back to the Matthew account for a minute. Notice what he says here Matthew 13 and verse, again, 21, we were in, 13, 21. Um, he hath no root in himself, dorth for a while, when tribulation, that's really tough times, this is not the tribulation, but tough times, or persecution, that's opposition arises because of the word, by and by, he's offended. That's an interesting word. Offended comes from the word scandalizomai, our word scandalize. When I first was gonna be an evangelist, uh, people would say, what are you gonna do when you get out of college? I said, I'm gonna be an evangelist. Well, back then, there were the Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker scandals going on. And uh, these were known television preachers who had gotten involved with women and monetary corruption, etc. And people say, oh, you're going to be a televangelist? No, not one of those. I'm going to be a church evangelist. There's a difference, okay? But see, scandal had turned a lot of people against the gospel, understandably. It's not God's fault that that happened. But see, they, they were scandalized by it. Okay, so does this group represent saved or not? We're not told specifically. The first group were told, lest they should believe and be saved. We're not told specifically, but it seems to indicate that they are not saved. Because the term episteme apostasy, or here scandalizomai, scandalized, would be have known the truth, but there's no real um, uh, uh, belief. There's no real putting their trust in that truth. It's like the root that comes out, hits rock, and never does produce life. Is that possible that's you? There's a third type of ground, Matthew 13, and it is the thorny ground, the thorny ground. And whereas the previous one I called scorched seed, this one I'm calling smothered seed, smothered. Interestingly, if you know how to spell mother, you put an S in front of it, smothered, smothered seed. Notice verse 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns, a seed that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, he becometh unfruitful. Okay, I, I wrote down A, the seed is sown, the word is heard. Everybody hears it, okay? Seed is sown, word's heard, but B, seed is smothered, the word is weakened. You could use the word suffocated as well here. The, the uh, seed is smothered, the word is weakened. When I worked on the farm, we had these hedgerows grown between the fields. When I was a kid, they were um, this really gnarly thorn bush called multiflora rosa. It had come to America from Europe. And the whole idea was it would prevent wind erosion between the fields. Well, sometimes the seed hopper would throw seed out and it would land among these thorns. Well, here's the problem. When the seed would start to go down where the thorns were, that soil had been leached out of its nutrients and out of its water, and those seeds didn't have a chance. They just died because they couldn't compete with the thorns. What do the thorns represent in your life? You know, it's really interesting. When football season starts, church attendance changes. Well, the Niners are playing right now. Yeah, they are. I'm from Kansas City. I'm a Chiefs fan. For 30 years, I've been a Chiefs fan. Oh, it must be fun. Yeah, well, right now it is, but there were a lot of years when Chiefs weren't beating anybody. Okay, oh, my team's playing. Cares, riches, pleasures. Choke the word. Well, we got to eat, man. It's noon. We got to go eat right now. Listen, every time you hear the word, there are competing factors going on. Phone goes off, somebody demands your attention, your mind's running to this and that. As a preacher, I got to do a job to organize a message so you can follow the line of thought. Listen, what do you do to organize your thoughts so you can stay on track with God? Oh, brother, I'm really trying. Yeah, but we stayed up really late watching a movie that probably wasn't the best, and now we can't even stay awake in church because, you know, we're tired. What place and priority has God given in our lives? I don't say that to be unkind, but my job is to represent him. What chokes the word? Cares, riches, pleasures. Okay, cares. Have any of you ever been a caregiver for somebody? Anybody ever done caregiving? My mom passed away last January, January of uh, 22. And I'll tell you this, when the last four months of her life My sister and I were the ones taking care of her. In fact, I was I was here. I had to shorten a meeting down in Porterville with Brother Dale Seaman because my mom's condition was deteriorating. So I remember walking the field out here on the phone, trying to figure out what am I gonna do about my mom's final days. So I ended up going home and I'm my sister and I each night would take turns, swap nights, who's staying with mom tonight. That just went on for four months for us, but I'll tell you, it can be exhausting. What does the Bible say? Be careful for nothing. Okay, you do have to care for a loved one. You do have to be concerned with taking care of obligations. But the word careful means let those cares overwhelm you. Let those cares burden you down. God warns that cares can choke the word. Then he says cares and riches. You say, well, I'm not rich. I mean, I, you know, I'm just like middle class or lower middle class or... Now we're probably all real lower, lower middle class with what our dollar's doing, right? But I want to tell you something. If you're an American, you're rich. I was in Canada one year and I asked the missionary that came from the Philippines, how much did it cost you to fly from Manila over here? He said, $1,200. And I said, wow, that's, that's a stiff amount of money. He said, for my people, the particular group he worked with in the Philippines, that's a year's salary. Yeah, how about that? A hundred bucks a month. I was with a missionary in Africa one time in, in um, Ghana, Africa, a friend of mine, and I said, Mike, what do your people make? He said, about $300. I said, a month? He said, a year. $300 a year. Let me just tell you, we have people, I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail, but we got people coming through our southern border being given cell phones and debit cards. In this country, you're rich if you live in America. Even if you're on government dependency, you're, you're rich. Riches can choke the word. Well, how's that? You know, we got phones in our hands. We can check stuff all the time. We've got conveniences. I mean, we have expendable income. We all complain about how come fast food costs 12 bucks a meal now, but we'd still do it. How come Starbucks is, it's beyond four bucks now. You know, it's whatever. And we all complain about it, but it's so easy to be distracted by wealth. And then pleasure. Oh, Pleasures choke the word. And not all pleasure is sinful, but man, how many sinful pleasures choke out the word? We we live in a a world that tries to find its solace in pleasure. So they talk about the weekend, and for the world, what's the weekend? Partying, which is drugs and alcohol, and immorality, sex, outside of marriage. Not, Not God's parameters for it. So they are trying to find their fulfillment in pleasure, and what happens? Chokes the word. But even as Christians, if we're not careful, it can choke the word. Go to the Luke account where he explains this. And again, we're talking about thorny ground. Seed sown, word's heard, but seed is smothered, word is weakened. Luke chapter 8, look at verse 14 with the explanation, that which fell among thorns are they, which when they hear go forth, or when they've heard go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Is this group saved or not? Well, it says they bring no fruit to perfection. Now, if you go back to the Matthew account, which we'll do, he says there, he becometh unfruitful. Okay, so, is it a backslidden person, a Christian, or is it an unsaved person? I wasn't really sure. And, uh, you know, when you're really stumped, the Bible says you you need not that any man teach you. You know, you can go directly to the author. Have you tried that? Why don't you talk to the one who wrote it? So I said, Lord, I don't know if I really understand this before I open any commentaries. And I'm not against commentaries. That I mean, God gave us pastor, teacher, evangelist, et cetera. You know, he says, so he gave us these. But before you crack open a commentary or call pastor, how about you talk to the author? Lord, I don't want to, I don't, I don't have an agenda here. I'm not trying to shape this one way or another. What, what's the meaning? Well, the Lord prompted my heart within the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna pull out the commentaries and see what the conservative commentaries say on this. They're kind of split right down the middle. Some say backslidden Christians, some say unsaved. I thought, well, that didn't help me any. Well, actually it did. It did. It helped me realize, what is the point of Jesus' parable? His point is the competing factors with the word of God. I don't have to be dogmatic. Is this a backslider or is this an unsafe person? You could apply it to either. The point is what choked out the word. It was at one time fruitful, it became unfruitful. What caused that? Letting cares, riches, and pleasures take priority over the word. Can unsafe people do that? They do it all the time. Can Christians do that? They can too. You can too. Cares, riches, and pleasures. Here's what I can say with dogmatic certainty. God doesn't want you to let the rivals of pleasures and cares and riches choke the impact of his word in your life. Do you see any areas where it does? Well, I can't go to a revival meeting this week. Why not? Well, my team's playing Monday night football. Well, the kids are in, you know, this program. Well, we got that club going on. How is it that God always gets the back seat? By the way, it's not just meetings this week. I'm using that because that's the issue at hand. How, How about personal Bible study? Wow, I'm just so busy. That's amazing. We'll spend hours on social media, but we can't spend 30 minutes with God? Enjoy. Cares, riches, and pleasures choke the word so the one who's hearing becomes unfruitful or brings no fruit to perfection. But finally in Matthew, I want you to see the fourth type of ground. It's the good ground. And I call this secured seed. Secured seed. Look there in um, verse number 23. He that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let's compare that to the Luke account, Luke chapter 8. And in Luke 8, it's uh, verse 15, Luke eight fifteen. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience, with, with endurance, with lasting effect. Okay, good ground. I call it secured seed. When I was a kid, I played football, and I remember even in Pop Warner, we were told, if you've got possession of the football, you've got to hold on to it. It doesn't matter if you're the running back, the quarterback, the uh, linebacker, you know, the safety. Whoever gets the ball has got to hold on to it. I watch these guys in the NFL that paid millions, and they don't they do not do ball security. They run down like, my coach taught us when we were a kid. You have got to secure the football. Okay, if that's true in football, how Much more is that true with holding on to God's word. The typical church congregant goes into church like, uh, we let our minds run to this and that. There is no plan to secure the word in your heart. That's why I encourage people to take notes. That's why I encourage you to get your sleep, get some rest the night before, get locked in if you have a hard time paying attention. What are you doing to secure the word? It's one of the reasons I believe it's so important to memorize Scripture. So you can go over it during the day while you're driving around, while you're walking, while you're in some kind of conflict in the office and let God's word come into your mind. Secured seed. Okay, so I wrote down A, the, word is, uh, the seed is sown, the word is heard. But then B, the seed is secured, the word is welcomed. The seed's secured, the word's welcomed. Okay, so think about this. When the word is welcomed, what happens? There's fruit. There's fruit and more fruit and much fruit. There's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. In John 15, Jesus talks about my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit. Okay, think. Should you and I be happy with, well, I've got some fruit in my life. What kind of fruit should we be seeing? Well, there's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That's good. But think about this. The fruit of dogs, the Everything produces after its kind. What do dogs give birth to? Puppies, you know, dogs. What do cats give birth to? Kittens. Little cats. What do alligators give birth to? Alligators. Everything produces after its kind. You don't have alligators inbreed with rhinoceros, okay? Everything produces after its kind. So think about this: the fruit of Christians is what? Other Christians. Yeah, so do the spirit, you'll have the spirit reap life everlasting doesn't mean that's how you get saved. It means if you're saved, you will be used in seeing others come to Christ. Fruit of the Spirit, okay, being produced in your life. You sow to the Spirit. You will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You'll be used in one plants, another waters. God gives the increase, but that's the fruit that should be there. Well, I'm seeing some fruit in my life. There's fruit, there's more fruit and much fruit. Why? Why is there fruit here? Because it's received into properly prepared ground. Okay, what are you gonna do this week to make sure your heart's prepared? How about praying ahead of time? How about coming and and maybe taking notes? I'll try to make it easy for you, but to get your mind locked in. How about talking about what you've heard? And by the way, the whole purpose of this message is not to simply promote the meetings this week. I'm trying to use that as a platform. But what about personal time with God? What about time as couples talking about God? What about interacting with each other more than just about the weather or your club or your sports or your favorite craft or whatever it is. Let's talk about Jesus. So I want to ask you this as we go to our time of invitation. Which type of ground are you? See, I believe the problem today is not that we lack the word. We have more access to the word than ever. But there need to be grounds for growth and godliness. Would you bow your